2 Samuel 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be the shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders came, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messages to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. And David knew the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. And after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shabab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elshima, Elidia, and Elepheth. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all of the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them, and said, The Lord has broken my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore the name of that place called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it goes out and accomplishes your purposes. We thank you that we can gather here today and that we may listen and learn and glorify you in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here after uh, Thanksgiving and being able to spend time with family, hopefully, or if you didn't, to just kind of relax, spend time together, be thankful um, for what God has has given you. Um, As we're going through 2 Samuel and continuing through it, we're going to go through, I don't do an Advent sermon series. I've done that in the past, Um, so um, that's my own personal decision. I have nothing against Advent series, uh, but, you know, if all the scripture points to Christ, I figure let's just keep going right through 2 Samuel. And so as we go through 2 Samuel, we're going to have more and more chapters like this, long readings, sorry, but not. Um, All the scripture is good for us to read, right? And so for us to be able to hear the word of God, it's all there for a reason, um, and, uh, and so if it all points to Christ, then every message, which is about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, is an Advent message. Um, so anyway, so you, if you come on a Sunday morning, just be prepared. You might be standing for a good, good while, because now we're hitting the narrative where we're going to be taking big chunks one at a time. And all of chapter 5, as I see it, is one section. There's a point to why he lays out all, or why the author lays out all of these things, why God ultimately lays these things out um, in order. And so we'll be reading through these and going, okay, there's lots of death, there's lots of fighting, there's this and there's that. Next week, we're going to be talking about the cleanliness of dirt. That'll be your little catch, right? So now you're going to be like, how in the world? And all the kids are going, see, I told you, right? There's nothing wrong with dirt. Um, uh, well, there is, but anyway, I'll just, I'm going to leave that. That's your, that's your little catch for next week. Come back next week to learn about the cleanliness of dirt. This week, though, David is finally anointed king. So when I was, uh, when my kids were younger, I would frequently get in wrestling matches with them. How many, how many parents have done that? Dads, especially Katie never understood why I was so rough with the kids, and I said, it's just toughen them up. It's just tough, toughen them up, and it was, it was awesome. It was great. It was a lot of fun, and I could win. I don't do it anymore. But inevitably, and if you've done this with your kids, inevitably, they would make, make at least one attempt to knock me over, to jump on me, pull me, push me, whatever it may be, but in reality, it was to no avail, right? First of all, uh, I was way bigger than them, um, and I was also, if you could say, when that would happen, you just firmly plant yourself on the ground, right? Doesn't matter. They're going to push. They're going to pull it. It doesn't really matter. They're not going to move me from my place. I was bound and determined to not let my three-year-old move me. But even today, even today, if my feet and my body are set firmly, my oldest can attest to this. He sneaks up on me and tries to push me, and he'll move me. But as soon as I set my feet, there ain't no moving me. There's no way. I'll turn, I'll look at him, and then he'll back off. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, that whole kind of thing. Now, there may be a day when I'm 85 years old, he'll never be able to move me. But today is not that day. So when he comes at me, or any of my kids come to push me, and I'm ready for it, I firmly plant my feet in the ground, the offensive lineman comes out in me, and they are not moving me from this place. Never going to move me from my spot. 
And so it is with David. See, David didn't take the throne by his own power. It was the Lord who worked all things so that David would be established as king. The Lord firmly placed him on the throne of Israel. And so after seven and a half years of civil war, Israel finally recognizes the Lord's hand in David's kingship. And Israel's enemies, they learn the hard way that they are powerless to remove David from the throne. Push and shove as they might, they are like little children attempting to move an NFL lineman. It just ain't gonna happen. And so, let's start at the beginning of the chapter. Now, there's things within this chapter we're not going to talk about. Like one of the problems, David took concubines. Not a good thing. That's a sign that there's going to be issues that are going to come up pretty soon. Um, they take the idols away from the Philistines. Now, if you go to First Corinth, uh, Chronicles, they take them so they can burn them. So that's a good thing. But we're not going to touch deeply on everything within this chapter. Because ultimately, all those things support what, what is the reality is that David is the king who is established by God and recognized by God's people. So, first point, Israel recognizes David as their king, finally. A civil war is raged for seven and a half years, and finally Israel comes around and proclaims David and recognizes David as their king. Now, there's two ways in which this happens. First, all of the elders and all of the tribes of Israel declare, even when Saul was our king, it was you who led Israel out and brought Israel in. Now, David was the one who successfully led the nation into battle. To lead out, to bring in is the duty of the king, and David was fulfilling this role even before he was placed on the throne, even while Saul was king. David was the one who was fulfilling this duty. Second, all the elders and people recognized that it was the Lord, or it is the Lord, who called David to be shepherd of the Lord's people. A shepherd leads his sheep, caring for their needs, protecting them from predators, and the sheep follow and trust only their shepherd. Years ago, a sheep farmer once asked me to help gather his sheep from the field, but try as I might, they would not listen to me. I spoke softly, you know, like a little baby. Come on, come on. Then eventually getting frustrated, saying, get over here, you dumb sheep. Neither of them worked. Neither of them worked. And only then, when they refused to listen to me and would run away from me, only then did I realize that the farmer was getting a real good kick out of that because he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he did it on purpose. He says, Mark, you're my pastor. Here's, here's an illustration for you. We are sheep. We are sheep. The sheep would not listen to me because I was not their shepherd. The people of Israel are finally recognizing and putting their trust in the shepherd instead of running away from the shepherd. But they are also acknowledging that it is the Lord has, who has called David, not just to be the shepherd of them, but to be their prince, to be their ruler, to be their king. He is the one who would rule over them. 
When the people first asked the Lord to give them a king, he gave them the desires of their heart and placed Saul on the throne. Saul's heart was focused on his own greatness. He feared the people more than he feared the Lord, and eventually that was his undoing. And the the throne was handed over to someone who was better than Saul, and that is David. Because David was unlike Saul. He was a man after God's own heart. He was anointed by God to fulfill what Saul could not, the will and the desire of the Lord. And the people are finally acknowledging David as their Lord-anointed prince and as their Lord-anointed ruler and as their Lord-anointed shepherd. He will fight for them, he will care for them, and he will protect them because God is behind him. And that leads us to the next point, because it was the Lord who established David as king of all of Israel. And I know we talked about this last week, but this passage, this chapter is just riddled with these phrases. It is the Lord who made David shepherd and prince. That's in verse 2. The Lord is with David, verse 10. The Lord establishes David as king, and the Lord exalts David's kingdom. That's verse 12. And these last two, those last two include an important information. It says, and David knew that the Lord was, had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom. David knew that everything that was happening to him and to the kingdom of Israel was firmly established by the Lord, not David, not the might of his armies, not by his cunning military leadership, not by the greatness and awesomeness of himself or the greatness or awesomeness of the people of Israel. It was all done by the power of Yahweh, a power of the Lord. And it was done for a reason in verse 12. It was done for the sake of the Lord's people, Israel. As my own study Bible notes say, David's kingship is entirely dependent upon God, but it is also intended to benefit God's people. Later in 2 Samuel 8, we're told these words. It says, And David administered justice and equity to all his people. The Lord establishes David as the king of Israel to benefit the Lord's people. It's a good thing to have David as shepherd and prince. It's a good thing for the people to have him as their king. Now, this also infers, now, what was one of the rules last week? If you, assumptions are dangerous things, right? So if you're going to make an assumption, you, you better make a really strong assumption in a good way that's rooted in Scripture, Now, this is probably more of an inference because if the Lord establishes David as king and it's good for God's people to put their trust in the king, then refusing David's rule is to refuse the Lord and it is to refuse all of the benefits that come with David's rule. That's a good inference. Follow David. This good stuff is going to happen. Reject David as king and all this bad stuff is going to happen. And that's what we see in this next part of the chapter, which is why I say the, the, the whole chapter is meant to point to the, those truths. See, the Lord 
the Lord defeats Israel's enemies through David. The Jebusites taunt David, thinking that there was no way that he'd be able to win the city. But they didn't realize that they were actually defending themselves against the Lord. And when the Philistines hear that David has taken the throne, they gather their armies in hopes of removing him. But like the Jebusites, they misunderstand who they're really fighting. Twice they raise an army, and twice they fall to the Lord's anointed king. And try as they might, they are fighting a losing battle. For a king who is firmly established by the power of God is a king who cannot be dethroned. Because it's the father who establishes David as king. Now, as great as David is, like we hold David up, right? He's got his issues, but we, and we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there through 2 Samuel. But we pull David up. He's a man after God's own heart. And, and, and even throughout the Old Testament, they're awaiting a, a king to rise up like David. They're waiting for this Messiah to come up and save his people. And as great as David is, ultimately his life was not meant to point to himself. And it was not meant to point to an earthly king like him or Saul or Solomon or all the other kings of this world. David was but a shadow, a type of the great anointed king who would one day come to the Lord's people. He would be a great redeemer, a savior, restoring God's people to the Lord. And like David, his kingship would not be established by military might or political power, but by the Lord, by his Father in heaven. And that's where much of Israel lost or missed the idea. They thought the Messiah would come up, conquer the Romans in the time of Christ, conquer their enemies, raise Israel up as this great, mighty military power, just like it was underneath David. And they were sorely wrong. That was not God's plan. He was not established by military might or political power, just like David wasn't. When Herod seeks the birthplace of who he calls the king of the Jews, this is in Matthew chapter 2, the chief priests and scribes quote the, the prophet Micah by saying, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem is the birthplace of David. And so they're awaiting this new king to come out. Bethlehem is far from being influential amongst the nation of Israel. Even when David's time, it was not this powerful city. It's just a small village in the tribe of Judah. And yet, just as with David, it is God who will raise a great ruler and a great shepherd from this insignificant village. Or, look in Acts chapter 2. In his sermon, Peter says this. It's a, um, a sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know that for certain that God has made him, that is, Jesus, Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter is saying, who made Christ Lord, or Jesus Lord and Christ? Who made him Prince 
and ruler over God's people and the Messiah, the Savior of His people. God is the one who made Him Prince and Messiah. Or in John chapter 16, verse 32, Jesus tells his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion, he says these words, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Just as David became greater and greater because the Lord was with him, so the Father was with Christ, Jesus, strengthening, empowering him to do as his Father desired. He's fulfilling the role of the anointed king. And then finally, through Jesus, the Father defeats his people's old enemies of sin and death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What victory do we have over? We have the victory over sin and death. Through Christ, God has delivered his people from the power of sin to rule over them and the power of death to destroy them. The Philistines were the mortal enemy of Israel. They were constantly fighting them. They were constantly trying to throw off the rule of the Philistines over them. And sometimes they would win and sometimes they'd lose. Just read the, the, story, the stories in, in the book of Judges. But Christ defeats our enemies. We don't have Philistines. We have sin that rules over us, that tempts us, that grabs a hold of us. And we have death that we cannot defeat. Not just physical death, but eternal death. See, these passages reveal that it is the Lord who established His Son, Jesus, as the anointed King of His people. And like sheep to their shepherd, if God is the one who established Him as anointed King, then the Lord's people recognize Jesus as their King. They see and they know Jesus. Grab your Bibles. I want to read in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 14. Very quick, just three verses. These are Jesus, Jesus' words. And he says these, this is John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16. He's speaking of himself, himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. I I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Jesus knows his sheep, and he knows those who are his sheep. And those who are his sheep know and they follow him. They recognize their king, and they willingly and trustingly follow him wherever he leads. They know 
that it is the firmly established king of the Lord who has gone out before them to utterly defeat their enemies of sin and death. They know that life, eternal life, is only found and received through King Jesus. And so you have to ask yourself the question, do you recognize Jesus as king? Do you recognize Jesus as king? Then here's what I say. If the answer is yes, then stand confident that just as the Lord has firmly established him as the anointed king of his people, so he has firmly established you as his child, as a child of the king. Though we experience hardships in this world, and even at times we willingly fall prey to the power of sin, in our lives, we can know and confidently know that the power of the king is greater than our sin. The power of the king is greater than us. The power of the king is greater than the world. He has overcome the world and nothing can remove us from his love. Do you recognize Jesus as your king? You ain't going to be perfect. But thank goodness our confidence does not stand in the perfection of us. Our confidence is found in the perfection of Christ as our King. And so we follow Him. We recognize Him. We we find comfort and joy and care and even discipline in the hands of the shepherd. But we know, and we do that because we know He is the one who gives life. He is the one who has defeated sin and death. He is the one who saves us, no one and nothing else. Because He is the anointed King that has been established by the power of God to be our good shepherd. But on the other hand, do you reject Jesus as King? then I I beg you to hear the truth of Christ and turn from your sinful rebellion against Him. If you are not a part of the sheepfold, underneath the care and the protection and the discipline of the shepherd, you are outside the gate and you are in a dangerous position to be ravaged by wolves. You're wandering by yourself with no one to watch over you. What power does a sheep have over a wolf or a bear or a lion? Nothing. What power does an individual have against the power of Satan, against the power of sin, against the power of death? The sheep can do nothing. They're at the whims of of these other powers. They're outside the gate. You are outside the gate. And like the Philistines and the Jebusites, resistance to David's kingship finds you in resistance of God and rejecting Jesus as the Christ, rejecting him as the good shepherd. This passage says 
And the Philistines, that makes sense, right? Like, why they're enemies? They're just mortal enemies of Israel. They've been, Israel. They've been doing this for generations and generations and generations. But the Jebusites, it describes the Jebusites. David says, what? Go, go, go up. Go up into the, to the well, uh, the water channel. I'm trying to remember what it says. And go in and defeat these lame and these blind. Who what? Who hate David's soul. They absolutely despise and reject David as the king. They hate him. And in the end, they're defeated. They're conquered by the king. If you reject Christ as king, just know that you are a small child attempting to push over their father and doing it all in vain. You cannot remove Christ from the throne. He is on there forever and ever and ever. And your attempts to remove him reveal your hatred, your hatred of him. And the only cure is Christ, is to stand before Him, to believe you are in a fight that you will lose without recognizing and submitting to the reign of Christ the King. We like to think of this Christmas time, first day at Advent. We put up our Christmas tree yesterday. And you get all excited, and you're like, oh, I get to wrap the presents. I get to spend time with family, or just I'm having all those traditions and those memories, and it, yay, you know, this is fun. Christmas is so much more than that. And I know we say it every year. Luke said that at the beginning in the announcements. Like, this is, help us to remember. And Aaron, I think Aaron said it too, that we, this is about, Christmas is about him. This isn't about gifts. It's not about family. Those are all good things. They're all there. They're like the cherry on top. Ultimately, what Christmas season is about is about the King, Him coming. And I'm here to tell you, the King has come. The Messiah has come. And if you are part of His sheepfold, give Him praise and glory and honor. Lift Him high. Make Him the center of this time. We should do that anyway with all of our life, but for sure at Christmas. He is our King. He is the Good Shepherd, and it's a reminder for us as His sheep to go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son, for making me your sheep and protecting me and caring for me, defeating the rule of sin over my life and defeating death so that when I die physically on this earth, I am with you forever and eternity. I find life in you. Thank you, not in myself, not in my own power, but in your power, in your goodness. You have established him as king, and you have established me as his child. Thank you, Father, and give him the glory. And yet Christmas 
if you do not believe, and I will say this every single Sunday, not just through Advent, but for sure in Advent, believe in the shepherd. Repent of your sins. Turn from your ways and your rebellion. And trust in the great shepherd and the great prince, Jesus Christ. Only in the presence of the king do you find peace. The passage that we read during worship, Isaiah, he is called the prince of peace for a reason. He gives us peace and he makes peace between us and God. He makes us his children. So believe. Do not, do not turn from this time and hearing these words and reject him more and more and more. Because again, you are outside the gate and there is nothing there but death and fear and frustration. Turn to him. He has overcome this world and he brings peace. Just as David did for the kingdom of Israel. Father, I pray as your people, we remember you, you have established your son as our king. And only through him, only recognizing him, Father, do we know what true peace is, that we could truly understand this Christmas season. And with all of the traditions and the, the fun traditions and moments and Christmas tree and presents and family that we know as your people, Father, the ultimate reason is your Son. Help us not to lose sight of that. And for those, Father, who, who have rejected you, I've heard the truth that your Son is the only true king, the true good shepherd, the true protector of of us, of your people, that Father, that we can put, that they would put their trust and their faith in you, that you would break down the wall of resistance and they would find, they would find peace and joy and love and protection and, and goodness in you, God. And in you only. We ask this in your name. Amen. Why don't you stand and sing our final song?